What is Revelation? With all the symbolic language and weird descriptions, is it even possible to understand this book? And what's the blessing that's been promised for reading it? In this video, we'll be answering all these questions and more as we study our way through the book of Revelation chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Of course, the whole point of these Bible studies is for you to not just learn a bunch of stuff, but for you to actually understand Revelation and know how to apply it in your own life. If you're enjoying this series, make sure you subscribe. And if you want to grab a copy of the free Revelation summary sheet that we'll be using to guide us through this series, you can get that at revelationpdf.com. If you're keeping track of where we're up to on the sheet, we're actually right up the top in what's known as the prologue or the salutation, right at the start of chapter one. I know it's super tempting to race through the, um, to the bits of the book where all the action is, and believe me, we'll get there. But here's the thing. Most people skim read their way through the first chapters fairly fast, and they miss out on a heap of context, which means that when they get to all the symbolic language and the big events, they don't really understand how the whole thing fits together. But you and I aren't going to make that mistake, are we? So let's open up our Bible and start right at the very start of the book with the title. Now the title is far more significant than you've ever realised. It's so much more than just a label. If you're reading an older English translation like the King James Version, the heading will say something like Revelation of St. John the Divine, which is a little bit misleading because while John was the human who got shown some stuff and wrote down what he saw, the contents of this book are most definitely a revelation of Jesus, not of John. If you're reading a newer translation, the title of the book has been abbreviated quite simply to one word, Revelation. The word revelation has been translated by, um, from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means to reveal, to unveil, or to disclose the truth. It's important that we start here because there are lots of people out there who will try and tell you that this book is super difficult to understand. In fact, some people will try and tell you that this book is totally impossible for humans to understand. I've had plenty of people who, when I've told them I'm running a Bible study series on Revelation, they've kind of scoffed at me saying things like, oh, wow, that's a pretty big undertaking. Are you sure you really want to do that? And things like, you shouldn't be teaching children things that are subject to so much interpretation. Well, you know what? You've only got to take a look at what the title means to know that the very purpose of this book, this revelation, is to reveal what is going to happen in the end times and Jesus's role in it. One of the reasons that people find it so hard to understand this book is that there are whole combinations of symbolic language, prophetic language, figures of speech from 2000 years ago, and everything's been translated from Greek into English. Think of it this way. Have you ever been watching a movie, you've got about half an hour left, and someone new comes into the room? Assuming that person sits down and tries to watch the movie with you, they're probably going to ask a heap of questions. If they'd started watching at the start when everyone else did, they would have understood who the characters are and how they've been interacting with each other. They'd know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are and how all the places and settings on the screen are relevant to the storyline. But as it is, they've got a heap of questions. And if they don't ask their questions and they just sit down and watch the end of the movie without knowing how everything fits together, there's a good chance they won't have actually understood what happened, how things have resolved, and if there's any sort of twist right at the end. They'll be completely lost. 
if I was to pick up a book series like Harry Potter and only read the very last chapter of the last book, do you think I'd understand what it was actually talking about? You know, I wouldn't. And yet we get all surprised when we try and read the book of Revelation, which is the very last book of the Bible, kind of like the conclusion to the whole thing, right? Without having read and understood the rest of the book. That's not a criticism, just an observation. Because it's actually really cool that out of the 22 chapters of Revelation, only the last two chapters contain totally new information. And that's information that goes beyond the millennium. The other 20 chapters, the first 20 chapters, are packed full of references back to other parts of the Bible. And in particular, back to the prophetic books in the Old Testament. In fact, there are only 404 individual verses in Revelation, and 278 of those verses contain a whopping 550 allusions or references back to the Old Testament. That's huge. And when you understand which bits of Revelation link back to which bits of the Old Testament, the whole thing becomes so much clearer. What Revelation does is take a pile of scattered Old Testament prophecies and assemble them into an actual sequence of events. It's kind of like when Jesus met up with a few of his followers on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, which is recorded in Luke chapter 24 from verse 13 to 34. Let's take a look at verse 27, and remember they're walking along the road at this point. It says, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In verse 32, later on, after they'd recognised Jesus, look at what they said to one another. Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Now, Jesus explained the scriptures regarding himself to those followers on the road in a way that brought a heap of different pieces of the puzzle together for them, and the new understanding that they had burned within them. What the book of Revelation does is quite similar. It brings a whole heap of different puzzle pieces together, and the picture we're going to end up with is so rich in detail, it's amazing. It's going to change the way you live your life. If you're someone who has um, Bible reference tabs installed in your Bible, take a second to notice whether they're colour-coded according to what type of book each one is. If they are, then Revelation should be coloured the same as the prophetic books of the Old Testament. They're the books that were written by Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel, uh, all the way through to Malachi. You'll also notice that Revelation is the only book of prophecy in the New Testament, which makes it rather unique. Before we move on, I should probably define what prophecy is, because that's kind of important when you're studying a prophetic book. So basically, a prophecy is a message that's communicated from God to humans, or from heaven to earth through a person. And that person is known as a prophet. In the Old Testament, in order for someone to be recognised as a prophet, every word they spoke had to come to pass. If they were inaccurate, it meant that they were a false prophet. So basically an imposter, and they'd most likely be killed. So if you're a prophet, getting the prophecy exactly right was super important. Now, the reason I'm mentioning these other prophetic books, as fascinating as they are all by themselves, is that there are plenty of occasions where something is described prophetically in Revelation, and we get all confused about what it means. But that same thing has already been explained in detail somewhere else in a prophecy. If there's ever something you come across in Revelation and you're not sure what it means, then the first step is to continue reading to the end of the passage, because sometimes we're told exactly what things mean. 
So for example, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 12. And you'll notice that John sees seven lampstands, yeah? And then in verse 16, there are seven stars being held. That leaves us trying to work out whether these are actual stars and actual lampstands or whether it's symbolic language. Until we get down to verse 20, let's look at that. And it literally says, This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So problem solved in terms of stars and lampstands. If there'd been nothing specified in that passage, then we would broaden our search to the rest of the book of Revelation, because sometimes we can get a good idea of what's going on by reading ahead to another mention of the same scene later in the book. An example of this is when we're trying to work out whether it's Jesus or God sitting on the throne in chapter 4. But when we read ahead to chapter 5, we see the Lamb take the scroll from the one sitting on the throne, and we know that the Lamb is Jesus, and he's not going to hand the scroll to himself. So that means it's God who's on the throne. If we can't read ahead and find an answer in Revelation, then the next place to go looking is in the Old Testament, in another one of the books of prophecy. Because a lot of the time when the prophet sees a prophetic image, they literally ask, what does that mean? And if they've asked the question, there'll be an answer to that question right there in print. In Revelation chapter 7, John sees four winds being held back which doesn't make a lot of sense until you go back to Zechariah chapter 6, where Zechariah has just seen four chariots pulled by uniquely coloured horses. Let's take a quick look at Zechariah chapter 6 verse 4. This is Zechariah speaking. And what are these, my Lord? I asked the angel who was talking with me. The answer to Zechariah's question is right there in verse 5. The angel replied, These are the four winds of heaven who stand before the Lord of all the earth. They are going out to do his work. When we take that understanding and apply it to Revelation, it makes sense that the four winds who are being held back are the four apocalyptic horses we've learned about a few chapters earlier. If there's no prophetic explanation, then we look to the rest of the Bible. And if there's nothing there, we look for contextual information. An example of that would be when we're looking for further understanding about the messages to the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and we realise that the town of Laodicea didn't have a reliable water supply. So they had aqueducts running water from hot springs at a nearby town. So the water came out of the ground hot, but by the time it arrived at Laodicea, it was neither hot nor cold, not nice to drink, and most likely a great breeding place for germs that could you know, make you really sick. So when Jesus tells them in chapter 3 verse 16, that they're neither hot nor cold, and he'll spit them out of his mouth. They totally knew what he meant. And when we understand the context of the message, we've got a much better picture of what the message actually means too. So let's open up our Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 and 2. Just as a quick note as we're getting started with this series, I'm going to put all of the Bible verses that I refer to up on the screen. But I want to encourage you, once you've watched this video all the way through or listened all the way through, make sure you go back and look these verses up in your own Bible. One of the ways you can do that is to re-watch the video and hit pause once I say what the verse is. Then just hit play again when you're ready to go. Most of the time the references on the screen are going to be from the New Living Translation. That's the translation I personally prefer to read. 
In fact, I might even make a video about how I came to make that choice and pop it up on my Facebook page. Um, and when it comes to some of the, the passages that can be problematic from a translation point of view, it's actually one of the better translations. But from time to time, I'll use one of the other translations. Um, if you're someone from the school of the only translation I'll read from is the King James Version, you'll still get a lot out of this series. Just read along in your own Bible and you'll be fine. All right, so verse one says, This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here are some things I want to point out from these verses. Right from the start of this passage, we're told this is a revelation. The word revelation in Greek is the same word as the title of the whole book, Apocalypsis, which means to reveal, to unveil, and to disclose the truth. And I want you to notice something else. It's a revelation, singular, not a bunch of different revelations, plural. That's significant because most of the prophetic books in the Old Testament contain a bunch of different prophecies. The prophets saw a bunch of different stuff on a bunch of different occasions, and all of these different prophecies got published together in one collection under the name of the prophet, right? But that's not what we've got here in Revelation. We've got one revelation, one download. Sure, John saw a pile of different scenes, but they're all part of the one revelation. They go together. And that's exactly why this book is not called Revelations. It's called Revelation. And if there was any doubt about what this book is a revelation of from the title, the very first, you know, first verse makes it super clear. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not just a message from Jesus, something he forwarded on to us because he thought we'd be interested. It reveals Jesus himself the whole way through. In chapter 1, John describes Jesus in his glorified body as he is in heaven. In chapters 2 and 3, we see a bunch of different characteristics of Jesus as he specifically relates to his church. And in chapters 4 and 5, we see Jesus receiving the glory, honour and power he deserves thanks to his redemptive work on the cross. Chapters 6 through 18 show Jesus as the kinsman, redeemer and judge of the world. Chapters 19 and 20 show Jesus arriving in his kingdom here on earth, reigning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in the final couple of chapters, we see Jesus reigning for all eternity. So there's no doubt that this is a revelation of Jesus the Christ. Now, if you think about it, we're always a bit suspicious when someone provides a wonderful account that's all about themselves. And we'd much prefer to hear about things from a third party. And it would have been a bit weird if Jesus himself had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with John to share all this information. Notice in verse 1 how it's God himself who gave this revelation to Jesus, and Jesus is just passing it on. How does God know what's going to happen? Well, we need to remember that God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at all times. Now, as humans, when we think of him being everywhere at all times, we just imagine him being everywhere in the universe at this present moment, and then everywhere in the next moment, and then everywhere in the moment after that, and so on. But omnipresence also works in the other dimension too, meaning that God's in all times, in all places as well. God is in all times simultaneously. So there's no need for him to time travel to the future to see what's going to happen and then come back to John's day to share that information. Stay with me. 
right? Because this is a big deal. So if we think of our current location, think of the place where you're watching this video right now, then God's not just here with you where you are today, right now. He's also simultaneously at your location in every time from the very beginning to the end of eternity. In fact, he's not just in your one location. He's in every location in every time continuously. That's what omnipresence means. And it's almost too big a concept for our brains to understand. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10 puts it this way. And this is God speaking. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. To understand how accurate the book of Revelation is, we need to understand that the reason God can know with such accuracy what's going to happen in the future is that he's seen it and he knows how it's going to end before he's even started the process. In fact, he's there right now, just as much as he's here in our time period right now. And he's also everywhere else in the past too. So let's step away from the brain bending stuff for a minute because I want you to notice how the Revelation message was delivered to us because there are a bunch of different individuals involved in getting this message communicated to you and I. Let's pull verses 1 and 2 up on the screen again. Can you see how God gave this message to Jesus, who sent an angel to present the revelation to John, who faithfully reported everything he saw? Now, John's report was included in our Bible as the book of Revelation, which is what you and I are studying right now. So the order is God, through Jesus, to an angel, to John, to a report included in the Bible so that we can read it. Back to verses 1 and 2, because these two verses have so much in them. They've also got the purpose of the whole book, the reason why God gave this revelation to Jesus in the first place. Let's bring those verses up again. Take a look to see if you can spot it. I'm going to highlight it for you. There it is. The whole purpose of this revelation. Right? God gave this revelation to Jesus so that Jesus could show his servants the events that must soon take place. The original word that's been translated as servant here is the Greek word doulos, which means bondservant or slave. So this wasn't a message that was intended for the whole of humanity, but only for those who were actively serving Jesus. Included in the why is a summary of what's in the message itself, events that must soon take place. This isn't a book about concepts. They're not good ideas. They're actual events. And the original word that's been translated as shortly or soon, depending on what translation you're reading, is the Greek word taxos, which means soon or imminent. Now, lots of people get caught up on the word soon. They try to discredit the whole book because here we are 2,000 years later and we're still in the church age. So they assume the whole thing is flawed. We're really familiar with soon as an expression that means that something will happen in a short period of time and imminent, right? right? Meaning that something could occur at any moment. But most people don't realize that the word taxos also conveys the idea of rapid execution, meaning that once these events begin, they're going to happen quickly, one after the other in rapid succession. It's a bit like a domino effect or a chemical chain reaction. It may not start straight away, but as soon as it begins, there's no stopping it. With the benefit of a few thousand years of history, we know that many of the people who were expecting these events to happen within their lifetime didn't get to experience them. Well, 
not yet anyway. But what we do know from these verses is that there is a need for the servants of Jesus to know about these events that are going to happen. That includes you and it includes me. There is a very important reason we need to not just read through this book, but we need to actually understand what it's saying. And that's because no matter who you are or what part of the last 2,000 years you lived in, the decisions you make and your choices during your lifetime are going to affect how you experience the end times. Once you've died, it's too late to change your path. And Jesus wanted his servants, his followers, to understand not only what's going to happen, but how our choices are going to position us for eternity. Let's bring those verses up for one last time, because John makes something very clear right at the end of verse 2. Notice that John has been very clear that his role in this process is as a faithful reporter. He sees some stuff, he does his best to write down what he saw. Bear in mind, this is a guy whose lived experience is in a setting that's 2,000 years ago. He's never seen a car. The fastest thing he's seen is a horse, and his idea of warfare is battle with swords and clubs and bows and arrows, not tanks, machine guns, drones, and nuclear weapons. So this bit is almost a disclaimer. John's kind of going, hey guys, I know this sounds weird, but I was told to write down what I saw, and I did my best. He finishes verse 2 by reminding us that this is an account of what he saw. Not a journal of his thoughts, his feelings, and his reflections, but a report only on the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Okay, I know we spent quite a bit of time unpacking those two verses, but I hope you now feel like you understand them and what they mean. All right, let's move on to verse 3 and talk about the blessing. So here's verse 3, and it says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. So that seems quite straightforward. When this message was first delivered to the churches, it would have arrived in letter format, in a scroll with a messenger. So someone, probably the leader of the gathering, would have read the message out to the congregation. So we have one person reading and the whole congregation sitting and eagerly listening to the message. But notice, there's a third requirement in order to receive this blessing. That comes from the word um, tereo, which is a Greek word, and it means to keep or obey what it says. In English, the way this verse gets translated can almost appear to be three separate blessings. There's a blessing for the reader, a blessing for the listener, and a blessing for the obedient. This feeds into the attitude of, well, I've read it, I didn't have a clue what it meant, but it says I'm going to be blessed because I at least read the thing. But that's not how this verse was originally written. Greek is a lot more succinct as a language because each word has a heap of extra information built into it. And what takes us 33 words to say in English only takes 20 words to say in Greek. And when we look at the original, I'll pop the the interlinear version, which has an English translation written below the Greek words, right? You'll see that there aren't three separate blessings. There's only one, but it has three parts. And there are ands between those three parts. So if you read, but don't take action on what you read, the blessing doesn't apply. And if you listen, but you don't take action on what you listen to, the blessing doesn't apply, at least not in the way that it applies if you're doing all three things. This has been a very roundabout way of saying that just reading the thing isn't enough. 
if you want to put anything into action, then the first step is to actually understand what you're being asked to do. So what is this blessing? Is it just a general thing? Is it similar to other forms of blessing in the Bible? Well, the Greek word that's used here is makarios, which normally gets translated as the word blessed or sometimes happy. In fact, leave a comment below this video to let me know which one is listed in the Bible you're reading from. It'll be interesting to see how many different forms there are out there. So the word makarios, if we're going to look at its full meaning, means privileged recipient of divine favour. So there's actually a lot more to this than some vague feeling of happiness. So what's the blessing we'll get if we understand what's written in the book of Revelation and we put it into practice? We'll be the recipient, the privileged recipient of divine favour. But what does that mean? Well, if someone has favour or is favoured in a group setting, then that person tends to get treated differently to everyone else. If there's a cushy job on offer, then they'll get asked first. They'll tend to be given opportunities the rest of the group won't even know exist. If they screw something minor up, it'll most likely be overlooked. So when we take this concept of favour and we put it in the setting of divine favour from God, that means we'll be treated differently to the rest of the group. It's a privileged position within the body of Christ because by understanding this book, we've had a revelation of who Jesus really is. And that hugely sets us apart from people who don't understand this book. Now, that doesn't mean that God loves us any more than those people or that our status as children of God has changed in any way or that God is going to provide for us any differently from day to day. But think of it this way. If there's an opportunity for building the kingdom coming up, Who's going to choose to send? Someone who's had that extra understanding and revelation of Christ is going to approach the task quite differently to someone who hasn't. And you're also going to live your life quite differently once you know with certainty who Jesus is and what's coming in the future. So divine favour is the blessing. And to activate that blessing, we need to not only read the book of Revelation, but to listen to its message and actually understand it so that we can put it into action. Next up, we're going to take a look at the context of the book of Revelation. We're going to look at its human author, as well as its divine authors. We're going to find out who the sevenfold spirit is, and we're going to find out why Revelation says Jesus was the first to rise from the dead, when he actually wasn't the first to rise from the dead. Remember Lazarus? Right. There's a perfectly good explanation for what's going on there, as well as answers to a bunch of other curly questions, but you'll have to wait until the next Bible study for those. Remember, if you want to grab a copy of the free Revelation summary sheet that we'll be using to guide our way through the book of Revelation, you can get it at revelationpdf.com. And if you haven't already subscribed, now is definitely the time to do that. Make sure you also click the bell to turn on all notifications so that you don't miss the next video. And if you've got any questions, I'll be hanging out in the comments to answer them. Oh, one last thing. Bible studies are always better when you do them with a friend. So if you know of someone who might enjoy going through this series with you, then now's the time to share this video with them. I'm willing to bet the Holy Spirit is prompting you with their name right now. Until next time, blue skies.